Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is talking to angels. My guest is Lorna Byrne, who is a spiritual teacher, international best-selling author, and philanthropist. Her books have been published in more than 50 countries. She is the founder of the Lorna Byrne Children's Foundation. Lorna has been seeing angels since she was a baby. She sees angels physically with as much clarity as the rest of us see people. She is author of seven books, including A Message of Hope from the Angels, Stairways to Heaven, and Angels in My Hair, A True Story of a Modern-Day Mystic. Lorna lives in the country in Ireland, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Lorna. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you. It's um, To me, this is just very exciting. I'm really looking forward to all that you're going to ask me and we're going to talk about. Before you could even speak, you share that you have been able to perceive and talk to angels. I, w- I would always say to everyone from the moment I opened my eyes as, a, as an infant, I didn't know they were angels. And I suppose the very first clear time I, I recall them is when lying in my cot and my mother is there fixing the blankets or whatever she was doing. And I was trying to reach up and touch them because they were around my cot. But of course, you know, when you're an infant, your arms go every direction and not the right direction in that, in that way. And it was a time when maybe I was two, two and a half. I'm never quite sure what age I was when I was playing in front of the fire with my little brother. And, you know, he said to me, he could have his back to the fire because it didn't bother him. It didn't burn him or anything. And we started to play with these blocks my dad had had made for us, you know, piling them one on top of the other. And it was an, an incredible moment. You have to remember when, when our hands touched, you know, it was like as if my hand went into his or his went into mine and it all sparkled. I felt so much joy and so much love. Um, and I remember bursting out laughing, you know, this, what's happening? And it was then that the angels told me that I must keep it a secret that they were angels. But my little brother was a soul. He had died before I was born. And You know, it was like when I was writing the book Angels in My Hair, it was, you know, I was thinking about that and recalling, you know, at times seeing my mom, she used to have this old armchair and she'd sit in front of the fire. And at times I would have seen him as an infant in her arms, you know, so he he would change age 
um, and another time when I was maybe a bit older and um, maybe four or five, I can't remember, I had to get mixed up with age. And um, my mom said there was a surprise out in the in the little workshop where what my dad had in Old Camino. And my little brother appeared, but he was older than me. You know, his soul was just so, so beautiful. And, you know, he went ahead of me and lit up the path because that workshop was pitch black. You you had to adjust your eyes. It was always really hard to see. But he lit up the path, you know, with light. And of course, seeing the little kittens there, I was I was so happy. So I kept it a secret all my life because that's what the angels had said. But as I grew a bit older, I I learned that I was considered retarded because even at two and a half, I was only starting to talk, but I was already talking and conversing with the angels. Again, I would say from the time I opened my eyes, you know, they have been my teachers, my best friends. They have taught me everything I know. And I'm severely dyslexic, so I don't read, even going through an airport. If a sign, cha- if a sign changes color or anything like that, I'm lost. I give out to the angels and I tell them, no, I have to work this out myself. You know, in that in that way. So they have been my best friends and my companions. And I kept it a secret because as I grew and even as an adult, you know, I would have heard my parents and, you know, other adults, you know, just saying, isn't it such a shame she's retarded? But I wasn't. It was just that I was severely dyslexic. So you were put in the classroom down in the back. No one bothered with you. But the angels taught me everything I know. I wouldn't be talking here today with you only for all that they have taught me. Do you think that that dyslexia has somehow opened you to some other way of thinking and being to be able to perceive these spirits and angels? That's a question that I've been asked a lot. And I suppose maybe over the years I have thought about it. And and in one sense, I would say yes, because I, because of being dyslexic and being looked upon as retarded, you know, in that way. Um, I didn't get contaminated by the world. You know, I didn't get contaminated as a young child being told because every child born sees angels. They even see the souls of, of loved ones that have, that, that they never met alive in that, in that way. Um, but as soon as they start to talk, you know, they're, they're told, sorry, you know, only what's solid is real. They're shown straight away. They're told this. They're told, oh, that's your imagination. But lots of times, young children pass messages on to their parents all the time. You know, and sometimes parents just kind of laugh at it or, or take no notice of it. 
you know, I've met lots of parents who would say, you know, my child saved my life when he was three. And I have asked why or how did that happen? And they would tell me a story that their child turned around and said, no, we mustn't go now. We must wait a few minutes. And the parent asking why, because, you know, and the child said, I don't know, but we must wait. And you have to remember a young child thinks the parent can see the angels. So why should they explain? You know, because even for me, like, they were part of my family. They are part of my family. You know, as a, a small child, I thought my parents could see the angels. I never questioned it, you know, in that in that way. And many parents would say, you know, um, my child saved my life because they wouldn't let me. They insisted I waited, you know. And I always say to people, listen to that intuitiveness you get or that gut feeling or Sometimes someone might say a sign, but that's the angels trying to help you. That's your guardian angel trying to help to guide you through life and trying to help to keep you safe. You know, and, and I suppose many of us at times, you know, kick ourselves. I don't know if you use that expression, but here in Ireland, we, we do. We kick ourselves and, and we say, I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I listened to everybody else but you didn't listen to your guardian angel. Yeah. Why did the angels ask you to keep this ability secret for so long? I think maybe the world wasn't ready. And, and if I had said to my parents, you know, as a child, um, you know, there's an angel standing there beside you, you know, and the angel is saying this or whatever it might be, um, way back then, a child that was retired, a lot of the time they were put into an institution. So the angels were protecting me, you know, keeping me safe. And what I would say, they were constantly reminding me. I have to tell you that constantly, you know, saying, Lorna, keep it a secret because I, I wanted to share it when I realized that my parents didn't see them. I wanted to share it with my school friends, but I couldn't. They constantly kept reminding me, no. And I under, I wouldn't be talking to you now. I would have been locked in an, an institution. You know, I might even be dead now, if you know what I mean, you know, because of those kind of conditions. So I thank God and the angels for protecting me so much and for myself listening and and I suppose they they taught me so much you know about our soul about the angels even about God itself you know and they have given me so much knowledge that in a sense I haven't I always remember writing the first book Angels in My Hair and they were all the telling time telling me you only can tell them so much you only can tell the world so much because they won't be able to take it all in one go and of course I wanted to tell everything so in a sense 
through the books I have, I've given a bit more information every time. And, and I suppose then it, it, it has helped people right across the world to grow more spiritually. Um, and it doesn't matter what faith you are, what religion, or whether you believe or not. You know, um, you have a guardian angel. I have never seen anybody in the world. And I have traveled now. Imagine me traveling, you know, <laughs> to me that. If if I thought about that, when Archangel Michael said, you know, one day you will write soon. You know, that day I was um, wheeling my daughter home in her pram and she was asleep. And I was a young mother, you know, was busy as anything with children. And Archangel Michael just called me, you know, he touched my shoulder. And I always remember that day being really annoyed. I get annoyed with the angels. I even give out to God all the time. Um, and being annoyed with him disturbing me because I was trying to get home. I had to feed my child. I had to get ready then to go back down to the school and collect my my two boys. And he stopped me and, and he said, Lorna, I have a message for you from God. And I always remember... You know, if you can imagine a pram in front of me and, and my hands holding onto the the handles and I stopping and just turning to him and, you know, being really annoyed, you know, okay, what is it? You know, I, I hadn't got time giving out. And he he said, you know, Lorna, it's getting near time for you to write. And just looking at him and saying, but I can't even read or write. How on earth is that going to happen? Go away, leave me alone. And all my life, the angels had been telling me I would write one day and that the books would become bestsellers. They'd go all around the world. And in a sense, the human part of me never really believed that because the human part of me saw that as impossible. I couldn't read or write, you know, to write my name was so difficult. And even though Archangel Michael said, you know, it was getting near time for me to write and help would be sent, um, time for God and the angels is completely different than our time. So it was many, many years later. It was after the death of my husband, Joe, that that help actually came to the door. Someone just knocked on the door. Who came to your door? Well, the angels had told me, I won't go into the Pacific angels, but the angels had said that someone was going to call through a friend. If a friend of the family was going to bring someone to my door. And out of the blue, um, a, a person that the family knew came to my door and they had this friend with them. And before she left, I can't remember all that we talk, talked about. I know I've got some into angels in my hair. But before she left, she just said, well, maybe someday I would be of help to you, to my children 
And the angels were pestering me at that time. They said, this is the person that is going to help. And I just said to her, well, maybe you would help me write in the sense. And then I, I think she was a bit surprised, you know, hearing that I wanted to write a book. Um, so she, she left. But in the meantime, I had said to someone else that I had just met, you know, didn't really know them. And I just said, of course, the angel said, say it. You know, I just said, I'm going to write a book. And they knew I couldn't read or write. You know, this is the other miracle. You know, this is the help being sent out of the blue. That person came to my door again. I don't know whether it was weeks or months later. Um, knocked on the door carrying a big box. And I was literally shocked. Like, I didn't really know this person very well, but I was shocked. What's this? And I said, come in, because they said, here's something for you. And they put it on the kitchen table. And then they went back out to the car and got another box and put it on the kitchen table. So I was kind of, you know, blown away. What's going on here? And the angels just said, make him a cup of tea. So I made him a cup of tea and, you know, he, he just said, I've got a present for you. This is yours. And we started to open it and it was a laptop, a printer and a dragonette. So that's part of one of the ways I started to write. And again, I could tell you loads of miracles because there was no way I could use a computer. Like, I couldn't even read the book. I wouldn't be able to do anything like that. And he left, you know. But in the meantime, before that, someone else out of the blue as well left a tape recorder and said, this is an old tape recorder, you can have it. And what I put, I done what the angel said. I, I put pointers into the tape, so I had loads of tapes. You know, I had loads, loads of tapes and then someone else out of the blue that I hardly knew at the time, a husband and wife, um, because we were living here, the house I'm in now. And I just said to, to, to the lady's husband, I have a laptop and I haven't the faintest idea how to use it. And I said, I'm dyslexic, I can't read, so it has to be really simple. And he set it all up and he worked it out that I only had to press two buttons. Wow. Not like today's technology, when you get someone else now to fix something on your computer, they kind of, and I just can't do it. Because yeah. yeah. I can't read anything that comes up on the computer. You know, so that's how the first book took four years to, to write. You know, miracles happen every day in our lives. And I, I, I think we need to become conscious of our guardian angel. But more importantly, I would say to everyone, 
Become conscious that you're not just a human being, you're a spiritual being as well. And you have this incredible soul that is just that spark of light of God. It's so tiny, but yet so enormous. It fills your whole body, but yet it's out there in the universe as well. It's, you know, I I think if we could become more conscious of both our connection to God and, and to nature and to this beautiful planet that we have been given as a gift that we mistreat horrifically, you know, things would be so different. One thing the angels have taught me is about the intertwining we're meant to be moving forward and they're doing everything to help us to move forward, even making us conscious of looking after our planet, trying to get us to be conscious of connecting back to nature, to life itself, you know, and to allow that intertwining of the body and soul. Because when that intertwining happens, you know, you'll never get sick. There's no such thing as disease or broken bones or anything like that. You know, I've been shown so many wonderful futures and I have been shown some negative as well. But one thing the angels never do is overstep our free will. We have the choice. And I think that's what we have to remember, even in your everyday life. They're the things that they have taught me. They've taught me so much. I always feel, I often say to God and the angels, you know, if everyone could see what I see, if they could just open themselves and allow themselves not just see through their human eyes, but through the eyes of their soul as well. Our planet is incredible. It's so full of life. I, th- I think, um, how would I say it? We look at things, you don't see them. We have to learn. They, they taught me how to see, not just to look. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's so much that the angels can teach us and even the souls of our loved ones. You know, they're in and around us all of the time. But again, Lots of us don't even listen to the soul of a loved one. And now I know some of us do. You know, some people will say, I could feel the presence of my loved one around me that day. But you have to remember the soul of a loved one comes and goes. Your guardian angel can never leave you for one second at all. And and again, you know, you know I have heard back from you know, children, teenagers, you know, adults, all ages. And they're saying they find that so comforting that even if no human being is giving them a hug, they know their guardian angel is there loving them and hugging them. Yeah. Your angels have given you precognitive information, including your relationship with your husband, Joe. Yes. Um, Where will I start on that story? Will I start at the beginning where Joe was alive or will I start where he, after he had died? 
Well, I, I, I think maybe, you know, when I was about 10 years of age, you know, I'd always go fishing with my dad. He would take me off um, with him. And many a time the angels would say, go down along the bank and, and let's, you know, let's teach you more. And this, this day, you know, my dad was fishing away and the angels just said, Lorna, there's a very special angel for you to meet. Um, so I said to my dad, I'm just going to go down along the riverbank, down a bit further. So off I go. And I always remember this part of the river kind of got a little wider and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, the angels just said, Lorna, look. And I, and I look across the river and there I see this incredible angel um, walking on the water towards me, crossing the river, walking on the water. And of course, I was only 10 or so. And I was so fascinated. How on earth is this angel walking as if he's walking on the water across, across the river? And he was dressed in all of these incredible amber colors. And I love amber colors because of this, you know, because of the way he, he was dressed. And the clothing was, you know, like as if it was wrapped around him. You know, and yet all different amber, amber colors and, and, and even his, his skin reflected these amber colors of, of the face that he showed and his hands and his feet. Cause the rest of him was covered in material that wrapped around him. Um, and I always remember then when he got to the shore and I said to him, can I do that? And he said, no. And I was very disappointed and he, I'm skipping some of the story, but he said, let's sit down. I have something to tell you. And I always remember these big, tough, you know, tufts of grass. And he sat on the biggest one. Now he was very big, very, very tall, very big, very strong. And I sitting beside him, I, I felt very tiny compared to himself and he told me to look back across the river and he said, he's going to show me the man I would marry. And I was only 10. What's he on about? Like, and it was like, um, it's hard to describe what the screen was like. Um, you could say it was like silk or satin or, or like, you know, mist. I, I can't, even to this day, I, I can't. And I could see this young man when I looked and he was walking up a road. And as he walked up the road, I could see the odd tree and the houses and, you know, everything that was going on. And I just said to Angel Elijah, because he, he told me his name was Elijah. I said, you know, is he that age now? Like, because I was a bit surprised because I was only, <laughs> you know, so young. And he said, no, he's only a little boy like you, a couple of years older. But that's what he'll look like when he grows up. You know, and he said we would marry, fall in love and have a family and there'd be ups and downs and he would get sick and die. So we wouldn't grow old together. And I always remember being, 
you know, so hurt by that and and annoyed. Why did you have to tell me that? I didn't, you know, even though I was only 10, I, I couldn't understand. And Angel Elijah then, you know, told me not to worry. And he put his hand to the back of my head like this. I could feel his hand here. And it was like as if he put it to the back of my mind. That's what he did. He said he was going to put it to the back of my mind. And even though it was on my back, to the back of my mind, all through my life as I grew up, you know, um, I always remember the day that I saw him. And I was working in the garage. My, my dad, dad was the manager there at this time. And there was these big glass windows because it was a garage. And I always remember the secretary sitting at the desk because that's where her, her desk was, was at the, at the window. And I saying to her, I think that young man is coming up here for a job. I could see him in the distance. And I always remember her looking and not being able to see, but he, but I was able to see him. But as he get clo got closer, um, she then saw him. And I said, I hope he doesn't get the job. He's going to come in here. And, and she says, no, he's not going. Yes, he is. He's coming in here. Um, and of course, he walked up across the forecourt straight into the shop. And it was the same as the picture Angel Elijah showed me when he was walking up that road. The trees, everything was, was there. And he came in looking for a job and, and my dad was there. And of course he got the job. But I was excited but scared because I knew I was going to fall in love with him. And then I was saying, you know, but what if he didn't fall in love with me, you know, into myself, you know, Angel Elijah, you're wrong. <laughs> I was going to, you know, in that, in that way. But we did. We did fall in love when we got married and we had children. And I suppose Joe started to get sick from the very beginning. You know, when even when he got a cold or anything, you know, it was always worse than 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 the normal in that in that way. So he died. He died young as well. My children, my First three were just young teenagers, and my youngest was only a baby. So, like, I always remember, I know it's somewhere in one of the books, you know, when my youngest um, was making her Holy Communion, her dad appeared. You know, her dad walked up to the altar with her, came back. You know, on so many occasions, God sends back the soul of loved ones to us to help to comfort us, to help to heal that grief, that sadness. You know, and that has happened on many occasions and, and, and sometimes on occasions where I'm just feeling sad. I'm missing him. I'm saying, you know, why isn't he here? He could help me so much, you know. Um, and he would just appear in my bedroom or come in the door or there'd be a knock on the door. 
just the same thing as the angels do. And I, I think I think if we all connect more to our spiritual self, to our soul, and realize how precious each and every one of us are, you know, and and how unique we are unique we are, and allow ourselves to to grow spiritually and allow that intertwining, allow that love and compassion and no judge, not not to be judging anyone, just to love each other and forgive each other and connect to nature. I know we can save this planet. I know we can save ourselves, but we have to work together. We can't look on each other, you know, we can't hate someone for their difference or their differences. We all need each other. I want that intertwining to happen. I want those wonderful futures I have seen for each and every one of us, for our children. We, we don't die. It's only our human body at the moment dies. But imagine in the future, you know, not even our human body dies. We, one of the futures I was shown, we make this world, you know, our planet. Now imagine this like a glimpse of heaven. Imagine what our planet looks like. Imagine how bountiful it is. Imagine all of that love that's there. Imagine what way nature has changed in such a positive way and the way we have changed. Like I've seen children of the future, I see loads that I don't even tell. And I see... I've been shown children of the future seeing more than I see by a billion times. Like, you know, they're, how would I say it? They're, they're looking at a plant, but then, and I, I was seeing what they were seeing of the plant. You know, at the moment, people are only looking, so they're only seeing I suppose what has been taught to us through generations or through thousands of years, you know, we're only seeing a structure, a solidness. We're not seeing the light, the color. We're not really seeing how alive it is. It's, it's not becoming what I, I don't even know if I use the right word, translucent. You know, when, when I, decide to look at a plant, I I see it changing colours rapidly. I see the energy. I see it becomes translucent. I see the life and it's fascinating. Can you share a little bit more about what you see or how you perceive angels? I suppose the most important thing to remember for me, it's normal. Like I was out today, I met a lady that came over from America to have a coffee with her. And she asked the same question. And we were down in the little town here. And I said, well, the same way as you do all these people that are passing us by. And she just looked at me. And she says, well, I didn't really see them, really. I didn't really look at them. And I said, well, I see the angels and the people all at the same time. So I don't go, oh, 
oh, there's an angel, you know, I because it's normal. It's normal for for me. So when an angel wants my attention, it'll either call my name or it will do something that attracts my attention to look over at someone. It's like when I was with that lady and um, my attention straight away, and this was to help her um, for me to give a description. There were teenagers after coming out of school and they were over at the library and two of them were kind of, you know, talking and passing something to each other. And suddenly the light of their guardian angel just opened up and I just had to smile. So I described that to her. I said, the angels want to help you. I see the two boys, guardian angel, um, and one of the guardian angels are just giving a male appearance. And you have to remember, guardian angels are an angel. They're neither male nor female. They just do that for us. If you feel your guardian angel is female, it's doing that for you because that's what you need. But this boy's guardian angel was, I had to smile, um, was giving a male appearance. And sometimes guardian angels are like generals. They're, they have a different light than all of the other angels, completely different because you have to remember they're doing their best to guide you and to protect you. But the most important thing is they are the gatekeeper of your soul. And they adore you. There is no one else in the world like you. You are perfect to, the, to your guardian angel. Just they love you unconditionally, no matter what you do. You can never destroy that love. And I just smiled at this young man's guardian angel. I say the boy was about 14 because his guardian angel suddenly put on its head what I would call um, a teacher's hat. And I just said to the, to the guardian angel without words, because I'd often speak to them without words, um, does he need help with his homework? And the angel turned and looked in my direction and said, no, Lorna, it's the other boy that needs help and he's giving it. And I thought that was very, very beautiful. And of course, her guardian angel was right there with her and other angels as well. There's those unemployed angels that I would love your audience to employ them and employ them for yourself. Since I was a child, I've called them unemployed angels. Um, and maybe I'll tell you a little bit about them, but it is that they're still pouring down from the heavens. And there's millions of them here, here already. But it's like as if God has them in this, I call it a bucket, and it's turned upside down. And these angels come tumbling down with their wings wrapped around them, but literally tumbling down. And when they get so close to the earth, they unfold 
and stand up and then come down slowly, but Angel's feet never touched the ground. And after that, most of the time, you never see their wings. They're just these beautiful unemployed angels. They're available to help us with any trivial thing that we need. Like since I have written the books, I have noticed um, sometimes I might see an elderly lady, you know, walking up the road and she's carrying a bag and there's an unemployed angel walking beside her, holding the bag as well. I know when seeing that, that that elderly lady has read one of the books or has heard and has asked for an unemployed angel to give her a helping hand, you know, or someone else has asked for them. So I would say to all of your audience, ask for an unemployed angel for yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community. Send them out there to everywhere in the world. You don't need to know the person who they're helping. You're helping in a sense, and I don't like using these words, but to change the world. And that is something we need to do. But there, there are words that sometimes we use because we want it changed in the way we want it. But it has to be right for all of us and nature and every little critter in the world. You know, I, I have to smile. The angels have always taught me never to kill anything. You know, um, and the other night I got a phone call from a friend and I said, well, just hold on a minute. There's a wasp in the room. I have to put it out and I call you back. So here I was chasing the wasp all around the room to get it to go to one of the windows so I could let it out. And that happened. But when I got back on the phone, my friend automatically would say, well, did you kill it? And I said, no, I know they have a terrible sting. I did get stung by one before, but no, we, we have lost too much. We can't kill the wasp, you know, in that, in that way. Um, and I think that's just something we have to remember. I'm, I'm even called by my grandchildren. Granny, there's a spider in the house. Can you come and help us? You know, but one thing about spiders, just in case your audience don't know, if you chase them out the door or put them outside, in the morning when you open the door or that window, they come right back in because your home is their home. How can we employ angels? Um, you just ask. You just let that thought, whatever, you can say it out loud or, or just have it as a thought in your mind. You know, there is so many angels there in the world to help us, even teacher angels, you know, even angel amen. I, I know there has been particular angels in my life, you know, that have helped me all the time and are still there. And what I love now, because I have written these books, um, how would I say this? Those same angels 
that helped me in my life are helping other people as well because other people have been asking for their help. Like even Angel Hoses, even Angel Elijah, you know, the Angel Amen, you know, Archangel Michael, even Archangel Gabriel, just, you know, the Angel of Strength. I've, um, there was, what would I say, when was it? I think it was maybe last winter um, when I was out, um, I had headed up towards Dublin and I'd stopped in one of the little villages on the way and sometimes just someone comes up to me, you know, and says, I know you and I'm looking at them. How do they know me, you know, in that way? And this elderly man had stopped me and says, I know you, you know, and he'd do this. I know you. <laughs> and I said, I don't know you, but, you know, what is it? You know, and he just said, I just want to tell you. He didn't even call me by name. He just said, I want to tell you. I've asked the angel of strength to help me so many times, and it has. That angel is brilliant. You know, um, and it's lovely to hear to hear that, or or you hear back from people that, regardless of the religion or their beliefs, um, because when I would give a talk, there mightn't even be. I was brought up as Catholic, but there may not even be a Catholic in the audience. You know, and they they would say. You know, I'm so glad now that I know about the angels because they helped me in my life and to know that the soul of my loved one is there as well. And I think that's that's really important for us because I think the world today has lost its way. We're so angry, we're so bitter, and we are trying to correct the wrongs, but we're finding it hard. Like you just have to look at the at the news and, and your heart would go out to all the men, the women and the children. But we have to come together as one. We have to do that. And I believe we will. You know, there's even the angel of hope there. And, and that is one particular angel. And I know the angel of hope has lots of other angels helping it. But when I see the angel of hope in the world, say I'm just just say I'm in Finland or I'm in America, um, I could be just told to run and lock lock up because the angel of hope is so big, is so enormous that if I'm to see the angel, that it could be a hundred miles away, it would have made itself visible up through the up through the clouds you know, in that in that way. And yet the angel of hope can suddenly become what's that word? In proportion to a human being. And the angel of hope has shown me so many things where that has happened. And even in countries where there is war now, or even in America where there's things things happening. The angel of hope is working very hard to give us hope, but to give us hope in love and compassion and peace. And at the moment, it's like we say we want that, but yes, 
who are going out and hurting others and hurting nature. So let's all, what would I say, become conscious of of our soul, become conscious that we're not just a human being, we're a spiritual being as well. And, And our soul is pure love. Imagine if that was taken away from us. What would we be? You know, I, I'm just saying that's something we should we should think of. And we've been given a gift of a guardian angel that never leaves us. That guardian angel is there all of the time. Whether you're being mean or selfish or whether you have hurt somebody or whether you've been so good That guardian angel, your guardian angel, can never be anyone else's. And again, it loves you regardless. It can never give up on you. And that is because of your soul. That spark of light of God, that is pure love. Like, you know, the way we're, sometimes we're afraid to give love because we're afraid we won't have enough for ourselves. But you have so much love to give and to love you. It never runs short. So in, in, in one way, I would often say, don't hold back your emotions. Allow them out. Yeah. You know, I, I suppose I've been traveling all around the world and, you know, meeting people, you know, when the the talk is over and the questions and answers are over and I do the blessing and I meet people and they, men, women and children, and they tell me they were never hugged. You would find that incredible. They were never hugged. This is the first time. You know, I could be hugging a 60, 70-year-old and they start to cry because they say they were never hugged before. I could be hugging a child and the child starts to cry and whispers, but I have never been hugged. And they're holding on to you tight and, and you have to kind of undo them a bit in that way, you know. And, and to me, that's incredible. Like, we have to... We have to love each other and tell each other, we love you. I love all of all of your audience and I have never met them. And I love you and I don't care what anyone thinks of you. I love you. I love you, Lorna. It's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing these messages from the angels and inspiring and giving us all hope because there are so many challenges in the world externally but also internally as well yes there there is a, a huge we're we're in battle i suppose between you know good and in a sense between ourselves you know we're we're fighting for what humanly we believe we should have all the material things But the thing is, when your human body dies, it cannot take any material thing with it. So we are meant to share and we forget about that sharing. 
that is, again, one of the things the angels and God have always taught me. You know, material things are just, you know, like this pen, a material thing. You you can't take that to heaven with you because you don't need it. Because when your human body dies at the moment, because that intertwining hasn't happened yet, but please, God, I'm hoping as soon as possible, um, your soul leaves your body with your guardian angel. And your soul possesses every consciousness that you had. It, your soul is your consciousness in that sense. And it never loses you. You live. And that is how when sometimes when someone sees a loved one, gets a glimpse of a loved one or something happens, their loved one can appear in the human form that it lived in so so that the human being can recognize them. But the soul is perfect. The soul never grows old. You know, in those, it was only, it's only us humanly that does that. So your soul lives forever. And even again, sometimes when someone has a near-death experience, you know, their soul has left their body, you know, and it depends on what happens at that stage. It can be that the guardian angel has literally wrapped around it in such a way that the soul doesn't see anything of, of what is there at that second. But then the soul can see everything when the angel not lets go, but the guardian angel is always with that soul until it goes to heaven. But sometimes the soul is sent back, you know, back into that human body. And on occasions, um, and doctors, I have heard from doctors reporting it, you know, they would tell me stories and you know, especially children, seemingly in children's hospitals, they have been recording these stories or keeping notes of them for, let's say, the last hundred years, way back, you know, and because children would come and tell them where they were. The child wouldn't have been told by the way you died. You know, the child would just start talking about Oh, I saw Granny and we were playing and where they were playing. And sometimes the doctor would say, well, what did it look like? You know, they would ask little questions, but not too much. Um, and that happens for a lot of us. And I, I think we have to remember we shouldn't be afraid of that when that time comes. But there's a but here. You must remember, you must not take your life. You mustn't do that because you are needed in the world, no matter what you think. And, and that's, that's a very important thing to remember. Just because we don't have to have fear of death and it's been proven to us as time goes on. But you're not meant to take your life either. Because every time someone commits suicide, we all feel it. 
And some of us feel it more than others. Some of us say, why am I so sad? Why do I feel, you know, like as if something has stabbed me? Why do I feel all of a sudden down? And earlier on, I was in great form. But a lot of that has to do with where someone has committed suicide. So I'm always asking, because when I'm giving a talk, there's always people in the audience that are thinking of suicide or have tried it. So I warn them not to. I'll bash them if they do. <laughs> That's what I'd say. <laughs> um, but I, again, I would have met lots of people, and especially mostly young men that would come up to me, you know, in whatever country I would be in, you know, out on the street, somehow they would see me and recognize me, recognize me, and they would come up and say, Lorna, thank you, you saved my life. And that's what we're all meant to do. We're meant to save our planet, nature, and each other. Yes, so be loving and kind to ourselves as much as we can and and to others. Yes, definitely. Lorna, you yourself have had several near-death experiences. And when I was reading your book, Angels in My Hair, you even describe having what William Peters or Raymond Moody might describe as a shared death experience. Yes, I have. I haven't actually written about the shared death experience as as such, and um, I've been told not to really share that that particular one. Um, but it is fascinating, you know. And I know when I write about it, people will will find it um, extraordinary. But I have died on many occasions and come back. Um, God keeps sending me back, <laughs> you know. Um, as the doctors would say, I shouldn't be alive. I'm not meant to be. So I, I guess I have intertwined to a certain amount in, in that way. But I think one of the times was when I was about 14. And um, I had surgery then. I had appendix out. And seemingly, I, I died in the theater that, that time. And it was when, when my mom and the doctor were at the bed afterwards. Um, and they thinking I'm retarded. And, you know, there was always that there. She wouldn't understand. She's stupid in that, in that way. And so they were talking very openly. And they said, you know, the bed was, my mom was um, on the left-hand side of the bed and, and the doctor was kind of on the left, but at the end of the bed and all the angels were around the bed. I was, was surrounded. And my mom had said to the doctor, well, how did things go? And the surgeon turned around to her and said, well, we actually lost her. We don't know how we got her back. Her heart and all stopped, you know. Um, and at that moment, one of the angels that were beside me, I won't say who it was, just said, Lorna, but don't you remember where you went? 
And I said, of course I did, without words. It's the way I, I sometimes speak to the angels. And I did go straight to heaven. And my guardian angel had hold of my hand. And how would I say, we flew. That's the only way I can, can put it. But I was so happy and so free in the sense of my human body. My soul was, it, it feels no pain, no hurt. It's, it's just love. It's just this incredible light. And yet within my soul, and I suppose a human way of describing it is that through the eyes of my soul, because we have to give a human understanding I could see the human self of myself within my soul. I'm perfect, you know, and, and meeting, how would I say, people that had lived that would have been in my family generations ago. And just one, one particular man I remember and just the way he was dressed was kind of, you know, I hadn't seen anyone dressed like that because we had no TV or anything like, like that at all. And he was dressed in, how would I say, it was like skin turned inside out, you know, like a fur turned inside out. That's the only way. And just this big, huge jacket he had on that was made of, something or other. I, I couldn't figure, figure it out. But I loved the way he had um, a fox sitting on his shoulders. And the fox stood up. And the man just said, that soul said hello to me. Come for a walk. And you're already in heaven. God already has those positive things for you to meet in that in that way. Um, and we just went for a walk through a world I didn't recognize at all. And that has happened quite a few times in my life. One time it happened, I was gone for 10 minutes. You know, the surgeon, they were all around the bed and was in intensive care for two weeks. They eventually put me into then high care. It's, you come out of that and you go into another, but you're still on pumps and machines and you still have, oh, I won't describe, <laughs> you know, and the surgeon was there with other surgeons. And, and again, you know, they were not expecting me to know my name. They weren't expecting me to know that I had children or where I was. And the reason they didn't expect that was that I was gone for 10 minutes. I shouldn't have been able to have full function as, as I did. But I haven't written about that one yet either. I have so much to to write, <laughs> and I will, I will. But I, I think near death experiences is to help us to understand that we don't die. 
And for many people, it changes their life in the sense that they look on the world in a diff on the world in a different way, and their life in a different way as well. You know, but the most important thing is that you become the real you. You become loving and compassionate. You become so aware of your soul. You know, it's not, it's not again, which I'll always mention about the material things, because if you think it's about the material things, you're losing track. Like, you know, when I spoke about the children of the future, you know, they see the grass different and, and they're learning so much and the plants and everything like that. They walked across the river without a bridge. So they were intertwined. So what material things do we need? I just leave it at that. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about what you mean by intertwined? Intertwined is what God had shown me was that the human being striving towards, because we use the word spiritual, striving to, to connect with God with our angels, or whatever you may call the angels. In different traditions, they call them different names. And connecting to our soul, that spark of light of God. And that's a huge, big thing I have tried about again, but I haven't got around to it. Um, but that spark of light of God is the intertwining. It is that you, the soul... And the human self to become intertwined like a plat. You know, you plat a plat? A braid? A braid, a braid. Yes, you, you call it a braid. We'd call it a plat. Well, it is that of the soul and the human body. We become one. But the word I was told to use was intertwining. And, and I know I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment with a scientist. And he turned around to me the other day and he said, Lorna, you have been using the word intertwined for years. Do you know science uses that word? And I looked at him and said, no. Like, so they're the words that God has given me to use. And for reasons even some of them unknown to me, to help mankind to evolve. And we have to evolve. We have to move forward. That's, that's very, very important for us in, in every aspect. And we've got to save our planet. It's no point going to, we have to remember, you know, you can go to another planet and we may say, oh, that's hadable, if I'm saying the word right. Um, but we have to remember, it doesn't belong to us. The earth belongs to us because the earth is what was given to us as a gift. The universe is there as well for us to explore. But we must remember that. Yeah. How would I say it? There's, 
and I've never shared this before, so I'm asking the angels, can I can I share it? They're saying yes. So as much as I can say is just this little bit. There is life on every single planet. And I'm saying, what kind of life? <laughs> but they're not saying. But but life itself, it's like, you know, when when I look out across the fields and see the energy and see the energy coming and that light coming from everything, it never touches each other. Even your energy, if you're you're in your room there and there's energy, other energy all around you, your energy that is coming from you, and that is not the light of your soul, is not touching any other energy. And I know science will discover that in time. In addition to asking our guardian angels or angels to assist us, are there any other steps you can share with us here to help us connect with and listen to our angels who can assist us? I suppose one of the things I I always say to everyone is ask for a sign. And the most common sign is a feather. And the feather can be any color. It doesn't just have to be white, but it can be any color. And to ask for that and to be conscious of that you have asked. And when a feather does appear somewhere, and most of the time, like, I've, I've heard back from so many people that said they asked for a feather but never got it, you know, and I would say to them, well, keep on asking because more than likely you have just missed it. And then I would hear from people that would say, well, I asked for a feather and I was asking for months and months and months and I never saw a feather. And then one day I open my hall door and I see a feather on the floor. And I'm wondering how on earth that feather get there. Sometimes we just don't notice them. And then some some people, you know, I would often say, ask for flowers. And you have to remember it's very hard for your guardian angel or any angel to convince someone else to buy you a bunch of flowers. Because you know the way maybe a thought comes into your mind, oh, Maybe I should buy Mary or John a bunch of flowers, but you never do, you know, in that that way. So sometimes what the angels do is they use a child because young children listen, but the adults don't, you know, because the adults are, what would you say, questioning too much. I don't question um, myself, but... A child will listen and will pull a little wild flower, could be a daisy, a buttercup, a tiny little thing in among the grass or whatever, or they could pull you pull a blade of grass or a leaf because the child thinks this is a flower. This is part of a flower and goes over to a total stranger or someone passing and holds it up. And that's your sign. You're being given it. But sometimes, and I have seen it happen many times where a child has done this, 
and an adult take it from them and kind of smile at the child and keep walking and then drop it. You know, so so we miss the signs. But I would say ask. Or you know the way sometimes maybe somebody is asking for a sign that, say, John or Mary would give them a call and just pretend you're Mary. And for months, this thought has been coming into your head to ring this person, but you never do. Because you say to yourself, well, I never liked them. Well, we had that row or, you know, something or other. But they're asking for that sign because if you made contact with them, more than likely you would save their life. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to become best buddies in that in that way. But we have to reach out to each other and the angels are always asking. And another thing someone could do to help themselves to connect to their guardian angel or to any other angel that is put in and around them to help them is maybe write a letter. You know, write a letter to your guardian angel. Tell your guardian angel what you want. Doesn't mean you'll get it, get it all, but you'll probably get some. You know, um, and sometimes that helps us to make that connection stronger. And I'm always telling people to look out for the glimpse of the guardian angel. And people do come back sometimes and tell me they got a glimpse of the guardian angel. And I always tell this one story because I think it's the best. And it was a young woman like yourself going to work. And it was a bit rainy or puddles on the ground, you know, and she was hurrying along and she was passing these cars. And some of the cars had mirrors out, you know, and she had made herself conscious that she might get a glimpse of her guardian angel. She remembered what I had said at a talk. It could be that you're passing big windows and you get a glimpse of your guardian angel. Your guardian angel gives you a glimpse of you and your guardian angel. Um, Or it could be a puddle of water on the ground as you're moving along and suddenly, oh, did I see something? You know, in in that way. And of course, mirrors could get a glimpse so she was telling me she was rushing for the train or the bus or whatever it was and she was passing these cars and all of a sudden she got a glimpse she said she knew it was her guardian angel but she kept going and then she stopped and she says well maybe I imagined it I'll go back and have a look and she went back and had a look at the the mirror, but there was nothing there. And she looked all around to see would there be any reflection of something else that she might have thought it was. And then all of a sudden she realized nothing else is reflecting in this mirror. Why am I doubting that I got a glimpse of my guardian angel? And the glimpse she got, which I really have to smile at, was her guardian angel's finger. 
it was gold and radiant light. You know, you can imagine your guardian angel putting, how, how would you say, in the mirror of the car, you know, the tips of its fingers, you know, and, and she described how it was so full of light and they were golden color and she could see every detail, but they were so perfect. So your guardian angel mightn't give you the glimpse of its whole self, but it could even give you a glimpse of its wings or, or something. Um, and the thing is always to grasp that. And then again, if your guardian angel gave you a glimpse of its whole self, then I would say to you, on any glimpse you get, try and draw it. Because that helps to bring back memory, not that what you just looked at, but it helps you to see. More detail can come back to you. And don't doubt a detail in the sense, even if it's a little line, you know, even if it's a little shade, you know, in that, in that way. So there's many things. And in the morning, you know, when you wake, say good morning to your guardian angel and say good morning to your soul, to your spiritual self, or say hello, whatever way you want to do it. It's just to become aware. Most of the time when life is good, we forget all about the spiritual part of ourselves. We forget all about God, our, our soul, our guardian angel. But when things are bad, but we shouldn't forget at, e at each stage, we should always remember. And it's like saying, thank you for all my blessings. I'm alive today. Isn't it wonderful? Beautiful. Lorna, do you have any messages from the angels for this program, New Thinking Aloud, or the host and producer, Jeffrey Mishlove, or myself, or anything that you're hearing that might assist us with how we are trying to help share messages like yours and others who are able to connect in the spiritual realm to help all of us and the earth, the planet? Um, just what I'm being told, think aloud, do everything you possibly can for it to continue to grow. And I don't quite understand this, but it's like, stay on the right track, on the right road. It's like to bring hope and positiveness. Don't bring darkness, bring light. Um, and, and that goes for your founder, yourself, all of you. And it should keep growing and growing and growing. Okay. Beautiful. Thank so, you so much. I would say keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lorna. Are there any last messages or I know you've shared so much today, but are there any last thoughts you want to share with our audience today? One is from the first talk I ever gave or interview I ever gave, I've been talking about standing up, playing our part, you know, being counted. And at first, over the first 
so many years, it didn't seem to be happening. But now in the world over the last number of years, more and more people are standing up and playing their part. They're being counted as in such. And of course, at the moment, it's to do with the wars. It's to do with our governments um, and even the women in, in Iran, you know, standing up for for their freedom in, in a sense, what here in Europe we take for granted. You know, we don't think about other women and other men that don't have the same, or children that don't have the same freedoms as, as we have. But we still need to be careful that we don't overstep boundaries either that inflict slavery on others. So again, it's, it's always bringing that love and that hope into the world. It's like showing that act of kindness, no matter how small it is. And of course, the other one is our planet. Angel Jimison is just, has given so many messages and I've put them in the books and I've talked about them. We're not listening and we'll suffer because we're not listening. And the only ones we have to blame is ourselves and that's all of us. So we have to help our leaders of the world um, to make the right decisions. And in a sense, we the people of the world have to enforce them. And that's strong. <laughs> I don't give an out to them now, that's strong. We're not doing enough. We'll only make life harder for ourselves and we'll only destroy nature. But I know we can save. We can save our planet. We can save ourselves. We can do it. I believe in you. I believe in every man, woman and child in the world. We can do it. I will never give up hope. God has me here, so we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lorna, it has been such a joy speaking with you today. Thank you so much to you and the angels for all of your beautiful messages of hope and love. Thank you so much for being with me today. You're welcome. And it is my pleasure to have been talking with you again. And hopefully in the future, we'll be able to talk again. We would love to have you back on New Thinking Aloud. Absolutely. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. 